everyone, and welcome back to Ology's podcast, Training the Modern Workforce Live, the weekly show discussing training and talent development solutions and best practices. Each episode, we'll talk about a different training topic, and make sure to keep an eye out for special guests and interviews from top training professionals. Uh, with me, as always, I have Colin Forward, CEO of Ology. For the last decade, Colin has provided major U.S. hospitals and federal agencies with distance learning solu solutions. He studied mobile technology under Dr. David Metcalf while earning a degree in computer science and his MBA. And joining Colin this week is Dr. David Rogers, ARMI Chief Development Officer at DECA Research and Development Corp. David has his doctorate from the Text and Technology Program at UCF, where he was a research, research associate at the Institute for Simulation and Training. He has over a decade of experience building software solutions for humanitarian aid and training in austere environments. Uh, David was also a White House Fellow where he worked on workforce data policy. This week, we're going to be talking about whether you should build or buy training technology and training content. Uh, we've got some great questions on deck already, but feel free to ask any questions that may come up in the chat, and we'll get to as many as we can. All right, Colin, over to you. All right, thanks, Adam, and uh, thanks, David, for joining us. Uh, I think this is going to be a co good conversation. We've had a lot of uh, topics around build or buy questions for uh, learning technology and also uh, training content come up here at Ology in the last few weeks. So, um, I, you know, this is definitely a topic on the, on the front of people's minds. Um, to start off, uh, you know, you, you've worked on some really interesting stuff uh, at, in D.C. at the White House. Adam mentioned some of it in workforce data policy. Um, can you help us set the stage and understand what kind of uh, policy issues are, uh, are you know, being worked on right now around those issues? Yeah, thanks, Colin. I, I think uh, everybody understands that the modern workforce is changing, and it's changing more quickly than ever before. So the skills uh, that we learn in, in, and that we need in industry, they have a shelf life. As technology changes and develops, uh, we need our skills to be able to keep pace with that development. And so the traditional modes of instruction that date back thousands of years are designed uh, for, for a different time and for, for different modes of instruction. And so we need something that's a little more agile, a little more nimble. I mean, one of the things that we were responding to is the fact that, you know, there's millions of vacancies in the tech sector and our academic institutions aren't filling those jobs. They're not providing uh, people with the skills that they need to go out and succeed in those careers. And these are some of the best jobs that we have in the economy. They're highly, highly skilled, highly paid jobs. Anybody would be you know, very fortunate to have one of these positions, but they require special sets of skills that need to be developed and maintained over time. And so our workforce um, infrastructure needs to be catering to those skills. It needs to recognize uh, proficiency and skills at a more granular level. It needs to um, bring people into the workforce much more quickly uh, with those abilities. So uh, what are you seeing that is, is changing in uh, the, the way that companies are responding to this issue? You know, I, I, should, I should back up. This is something that's, that uh, we're talking about on the Ology blog right now, where uh, companies are seeing this as a key differentiator for being able to attract and retain uh, talent. Um, so um, we know that businesses are definitely embracing training as a core function uh, of their uh, uh, you know, talent retention and, and also professional development. Um, so what, what actions are those, are, uh, large organizations taking to try and um, uh, better support their talent through training? Well, you know, one trend that we're seeing from a lot of organizations that I think is really 
promising is really leaning into the front end of the funnel for workforce development. So creating and publicizing more of their own training materials and credentials. And that's really important because that helps you, um, I, mean, I mean, that helps build the pipeline uh, for your workforce. So people can start to see what skills would be necessary uh, to fulfill those roles and they can start learning directly from the source. And so um, it's, it's a very powerful mechanism for um, both promoting um, your, your, your industry, um, the types of skills that you need, and preparing students uh, and, and actually vetting them to see who would be most appropriate you know, to, to work on your team. So I, I, so I think industry stepping forward and, and developing some of their own credentialing programs is a major trend. Um, you know, there's also a big trend towards more, uh, just a tighter integration of the workplace and, and training. One of the big things that's happened as a result of COVID, it's not going to go away, is um, we're doing more and more things virtually. And once you're free to do your training anywhere, um, the most valuable place to situate your learning is in some sort of a workplace context where there are synergies between what you're learning and what you're doing. And so um, we expect that this trend would continue and even accelerate. And so between, and so I think those are two of the major trends that we're seeing. Okay, yeah, we, ha we had a, a good conversation with uh, Lynn Wright at uh, Extra Space uh, last week on, on the same podcast. And she was talking a lot about social learning. So as I hear you talking, I'm thinking about how um, in integrating training with the way that you're doing work really feeds into a lot of what she was talking about with social learning. And that's kind of a, it, it can be a, a low cost way to make sure that you're incorporating that sort of function into uh, people's everyday work. The question that it raises for me is, you know, what, what are the options for organizations of different size? Now, if you're, you're a huge corporation or a huge government agency and you have the resources to um, establish some of this uh, you know, training infrastructure, then you, you have a lot more options. But I think, you know, the, the, the reason that we're having this conversation today is because, um, you know, some people don't necessarily have the ability to build things from scratch. They're looking to say license an existing technology um, or, you know, deciding whether or not to build their own training content or license it from elsewhere. So um, can you help us set up the, uh, the value proposition when it comes to these build or buy decisions for organizations of any size? Well, I think one way to, to think of it, you know, as a technologist, we tend to focus um, more at lower level technologies, but I think there's a helpful way to think about this. And that's um, every, every decision is never uh, a black and white build or buy. It's always a spectrum. So, um, and, and that spectrum consists of a stack of technologies that sit on top of each other. So at the very bottom of the stack, you have hardware. And so very few companies are going to go and build their own hardware for learning or for any other purpose. You're gonna go and you're gonna buy a, a laptop or a Windows PC or something. Uh, on top of that, there's a cloud services layer. And these are provided by groups like Azure and AWS and whatnot. And so again, very few companies would even consider developing their own cloud services unless they had a an extremely niche, you know, type of an application that required it. So you, ha you have your hardware layer, you have your, um, your cloud services layer. Then on top of your cloud services layer, there's many different um, service providers that then take that cloud services functionality and uh, apply it for, for learning applications. So learning management systems, social learning tools, uh, chat bots, um, you know, you know, all sorts of course management tools, credentialing tools. And so those sit on top of, of that. And, and 
of that layer. And so again, you, you know, your decision is, do I want to recreate the wheel or do I want to then do an integration of all the parts that make the most sense for my organization? So what I would say again, unless you have an extremely niche application, chances are there's a lot of off the shelf pieces that are going to provide a lot of value uh, to your infrastructure. So even if you're intent on building something custom for your organization, at every point in this chain, what you need to do is make sure that you're building and adding value to the most important pieces that you get you further down the road. Because if you don't do that, that's all wasted effort because you're recreating some other part of the stack that someone else already provides. So do you, do you think that there are uh, parts of that equation, pieces of learning technology that have developed enough at this point to become uh, uh, commoditized where it's kind of a no brainer and there's, there's no sense in, in making that investment yourself because people have gotten to scale already? I mean, I can give an example of that. So, I mean, early on um, when we were uh, doing video distribution in um, austere environments where there was low bandwidth networks. So we would, in the very early days, write our own video encoders to be able to stream video. It would be very foolish to do that today because a service like AWS and Elastic Encoder um, you, you can get all of that out of the box for far less than what you could build it for yourself and they're maintaining it. And so all the technical debt associated with that just goes away because that's been commoditized, as you said, by the platform. Um, I, and I think, you know, kind of the march of history is the steady kind of commoditization of more and more components and functions. So it, it would be interesting to go through the different pieces of a you know, next generation learning service and see which of those are approaching that level. Um, I don't think that we're necessarily there yet on a lot of those pieces, but we're probably headed in that direction. Yeah, so I think you can kind of see that too with uh, even outside of learning like uh, website development and, and WordPress is making it, uh, you know, and some of the plugins associated with WordPress make it much easier for someone to create a, a website, even, even for training without needing to necessarily be like a web developer by training. Um, mm -hmm. we, we focus a lot at Ology on mobile learning and that, that seems like it's a little bit further out. So, uh, where do you see, uh, mobile on that timeline of commoditization? Well, I, so, you know, so mobile is a, mobile is a lot of things. It's kind of a broad umbrella that covers a lot of different capabilities. So I think, um, you know, some of the big capabilities in mobile are, are chat. So, you know, if we were to kind of unpack chat, I think the engines and the bots and the tools to deliver a chat service are on the, the commoditized end of that spectrum. I think the expertise and the ability to utilize chat and conversational AI to deliver specific pedagogical experiences, I think that's probably at the other end of the spectrum. It's still in kind of the build column. So I think if you, under the umbrella of mobile, there's a lot of technologies that are maturing. And as those technologies mature, kind of the, the piece that's still in the build column is applying that technology set uh, to, to the training domain. Okay, so if, I guess, let's, let's come at this from a slightly different angle. If you're a chief learning officer or director of tra training technology or something like that, and you know that you need some on the job performance support for your workforce, you, you need some sort of mobile training solution. How do you go about approaching that problem and, and understanding, you know, evaluating builder buy all the way up and down the stack that we've been discussing? 
So I guess one of the first conversations that I would have is with my organization's CIO uh, to understand, um, you know, the term of art is, you know, what kind of shop are we? And so every organization has, a, has already has a technology stack where there's a series of tools that they've expressed a preference for. And so when you're bringing in a new set of tools, you want to build on what your organization already has and what's natively compatible with that rather than heading off in a totally different direction. Um, so once you kind of have a sense of what your, what, your, what your stack is, what tools you're using in your organization, then what I would want to look at is um, what, are some of the, um, what are some of the learning management pieces that, um, that sit on top of that cloud services layer that are going to give me the capability that I need. And so I'd have to kind of evaluate what my, what my needs are, the needs of my organization, and then begin to see um, you know, what tools will provide me with that capability. I mean, do I need you know, on-demand streaming video? Do I need a video library? Do I need um, you know, you know, chat services or other services? And so then that will give me the framework to be able to evaluate which types of tools I need. And then the final piece is maybe potentially a gap analysis. Do I have unique requirements that none of these tools is going to address exactly, but that my own internal team really understands well and can add their value? And this is probably the most important part of the conversation. Any software task that my developers are doing that's already provided by another service package is wasted effort that takes away from the unique value and expertise that my internal team could add. So what I'm going to want to do to have the most value is keep my resources focusing on just those pieces and parts of the infrastructure that are unique to my enterprise. Yeah, I, I think we're starting to see that in the market as well, where more uh, learning systems are moving towards more of a platform model where people can build their own solutions on top of it. Everything from you know, the established players to the, to the up and coming uh, 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 products seem to be looking to hand over the development tools to some of these uh, these these bigger organizations that want to customize it to their own use case. Are you seeing that as well? Um, yeah, I think you know in those industries that have unique requirements, and then you know that's actually one of the um, the best parts of this whole revolution is that as the the cost of implementing unique feature sets comes down and becomes more accessible. You know, every, every business is unique in its own right. Every industry is unique. We all have our own um, different things and different modes and ways of doing things. And so um, there's scope within any enterprise to customize and round off the edges of an experience to make it more tailored uh, for your workforce. And so as, um, as we really embrace this design philosophy of having interoperable matching components that can be put together to achieve our ends, what that does is that brings down the cost of custom development so that we can develop um, tools that are really kind of finely tailored uh, for our specific use case. All right, this is actually a pretty good segue here um, to kind of move the conversation a little bit towards content as well. Uh, Nancy H asked previously, uh, she said, we have a pretty unique training goals uh, but we don't have the resources to develop our own content. Uh, is there a way to buy and build? Uh, you know, could you co-develop content with third-party companies? Um, yeah, I'm sure you could. I would think that, um, I would, I, you know, I, I guess I would look for, um, you know, what's the commonality of that content and who's the best partner to provide it. So there's lots of, you know, trade associations that are focused on, um, 
on specific standards for their organizations. So one of the, the best places that I might want to reach out to if I had a demand for content was um, what was instructional designers and standards bodies. And I think that there's a really great opportunity for a marriage between those two groups uh, to produce very niche, you know, specific training content for organizations. The standards groups know, you know, what the governing um, items are that governs the industry that you have to abide by. The instructional designers know how to, you know, tailor content so it's consumable and achieves its learning outcomes. Uh, so that's probably the approach I would take for, for those types of content development ideas. So this this reminds me of some of the conversations that uh, we've been part of in the past, David. You know, we we met at Institute for Simulation and Training, and we saw some really awesome, uh, uh, you know, sort of proof of concept projects where people were showing what you can do with virtual environments and augmented reality. Um, but those are those are pretty high dollar items, right? And it would it it could be expensive to build an entire curriculum with that type of uh, with those type of training assets. So. Um, maybe we can talk a little bit about the, uh, the trade-offs between um, some of those really high fidelity content types and, um, you know, something that is maybe more suited for mobile or some of the austere environments that you have experience in. Sure. So, I mean, you, you know, what some of the terms people use is, you know, leading edge and uh, bleeding edge and things like that. Um, what, what you find in research is that you know, a new technology becomes available and people race to find applications for it. Um, but there's really kind of a long process whereby those early kind of experimental um, concepts become hardened and uh, developed into um, standard conventions that are then broadly adopted. I think the advantage of where we're at in, in training and learning is that um, we can sit back and watch some of these kind of uh, forward thinking experiments unfold. And we have kind of time to figure out which ones are fads, which ones are going to enter into the mainstream, and how do we best use those tools. So um, you talked about the costs that are associated with that. Um, so the costs are high when you're doing custom development to support some of these unique experiences. Where those costs become economical for your standard enterprise is when a service like that translates into one of the cloud services layer. So if something really has legs and it's not a fad and it becomes a convention and it's not going anywhere, you're gonna see a service for it pop up on AWS or Azure or you know, some other cloud service provider. And that's really the signal to you in the marketplace that something like this is here to stay. And now it's economical for me to develop a training service uh, based on that technology. So you, you mentioned this cloud services layer a few times, and, and that makes a lot of sense to me as someone that's seeing Amazon, you know, eat the world, so to speak. There, you know, something becomes valuable, like you said, they'll eventually put out a service for it, and then you don't have to worry about building it yourself. Um, what about, uh, you know, moving up the stack? Like what, what kind of... Uh, SDKs or toolkits could a, a, a large uh, IT team use to bootstrap their development of training infrastructure? It's a good question. Um, I, I think one of the principles that you always want to follow is to minimize the distance between training and execution. And so you want your training tools to be as much like your work place and you know have them as closely and tightly integrated as possible 
Um, you know, we, we've done a lot of research for the Department of Defense. You know, one of the, their, their sayings is train as you fight. And so the idea is, is that you can actually have negative training if the training is very different from what your actual, you know, operational use case is. And so um, I really, you know, we talk about SDKs and integration and things like that. The place I would start, you know, cycling back to that conversation with the CIO is, you know, what are the tools that my, uh, my team is using every day to do their work? How can I make my training look the most like that and be as tightly integrated with that normal workflow as possible? Okay, so that I think that uh, train as you fight uh, motto is is a really great setup for talking about some pedagogy. Um, you know, we've been talking about training technology and the you know the the content types high high fidelity versus you know something that's more mobile suited. What kind of pedagogy makes sense for training as you fight or training as you work? Well, you know, one way I might come at that question is uh, by identifying one of the one of the chief deficits that, that people have identified in workforce development, and that's uh, soft skill development. So I got to sit on a um, on a research panel recently where it was all of these. Um, it was it was a meeting between industry leaders on hey, what are you hiring and how are the new hires performing in these technical positions and the academics and the educators, you know, how are you preparing people for these jobs? And the number one um, thing that got identified was that, hey, our, our new hires don't have the soft skills uh, to function well on teams. They don't have the ability to, um, to use in a real world environment some of the technical skills that you've been training them for. So I think that one of the best ways to solve that problem is through a pedagogical method called project-based learning. Um, you know, one organization that I think does this better than anybody else is called First Robotics. And so what they do is they create a, um, a series of competitions, you know, for, for secondary schools, um, elementary schools and whatnot, where they're essentially modeling the real um, world of engineering and business in, in, inside of a challenge competition. And so the, the way that they train is not just by learning um, a technical skill atomized in isolation, but in the context of working on a team to solve a problem, to achieve a goal, to compete against other teams. And so when you bring your pedagogy into a project-based learning type of environment where you expose uh, the student to the full um, dynamics of, of team interaction, setting goals and managing projects, that's where the skills take on tremendous relevance for the students and they become, you know, kind of surrounded and embedded with all the soft skills that are necessary to succeed. So if I can kind of tease out a couple of takeaways from your response there, it sounds like there's, there's two main components. One is you need to have subject matter, matter experts involved. So maybe bringing in folks from the organization that aren't directly responsible for training, but some other uh, component of the organization that, you know, you want to train on. Um, and then the second piece sounds like it needs to be modeled on the way that people interact uh, with their colleagues or, or with other people in the course of their work. Yeah, I think those are two good points. So, you know, first to the point of the expertise, I mean, the reason why we train people is to improve their performance. And so why would we want to model that performance on some, anything less than 
you know, expert level performance. So, so that should be the goal. And those are the folks that we should reach out to, to try to help understand and design our training programs. And then, you know, the second half of that is the context is very, very important. Um, you know, it affects your motivation. People aren't motivated to do tasks, learning tasks that aren't connected to a broader goal that makes sense to them or compelling. And then not only is that a motivational issue, but it's also a training issue because the more connected and embedded that task is, the more, the, the realer that skill is that you're developing and the more it's going to translate into success for the enterprise. Okay, and so I, I'm trying to think of some examples here of how uh, how those things can really be infused into a training program. You know, we can talk about it in the abstract about having subject matter experts involved or or incorporating these things into the the, the course of someone's work. You know, at, at Ology, we work a lot with folks in medicine where they are, you know, uh, on a hospital floor and and might need some sort of on-demand reference uh, something that can you know help them do the perform the job that they're about to do um, are there some other examples that, that you can think of of really good ways to incorporate your training content into the work that people are doing day to day well so the 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 industries that do that best are some of the ones like you mentioned so in medicine where they have a very very structured uh, mentorship program and so that's that's a powerful way to learn. And I think um, you could use that as a model in other industries because mentorship is, is one of the best ways, coaching and mentorship. The problem is, is that the people who would make good coaches and mentors in an industry, they have a day job and uh, it takes time to coach and mentor other you know, up and comers. So the way that you balance that is you make it as efficient as possible by giving those potential coaches and mentors the scaffolding that they need so that it's not, a, um, it's not a huge drain on their time and productivity. And so you make them as more efficient coaches and mentors throughout your organization by giving them some scaffolding to then um, bring along some of the new uh, recruits. Okay, so, th so this has been a really good conversation. You've been dropping a lot of wisdom. We, we did kind of get away from uh, the, the build or buy topic, but I, I wanna see if we can bring it back here because I think what we're talking about is still kind of high value training, um, you know, bringing in people from within the organization that have subject matter expertise. Are there ways to leverage e existing content, third party content um, to, to accomplish some of the things that we're talking about and, and maybe, uh, in, you know, inject that content into a model of training and training delivery um, that still accomplishes those goals? Sure. So, I mean, if you look at what you need to train people on, probably half of those skills are broadly applicable across industries and domains. So teamwork skills, conflict resolution, communication, leadership. So there's lots of skills that people need where the benefit from using third-party content is gonna be tremendous. And then on the other side of the house, there are skills that are unique only to your organization and the best thing to do is get a you know, a video camera and your most skilled guy and have them just narrate a three to seven minute video explaining a process. So that's the spectrum. I mean, there's things that are tremendously broad applicability that everybody can benefit from because they're universal. And then there's very specific content that you should probably build in-house. Okay, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So it seems like in, in general, folks are probably gonna get the, the biggest return on having a blend of that 
um, you know, in-house content and something that's maybe a bit more standards-based, something that they might be able to license or bring in a third party for? Yeah, I think that makes the most sense to me. Okay. Well, I think that's probably a good way to wrap up today's conversation. So I uh, really appreciate you spending some time with us today. Um, like I said, these are topics that we, we hear a lot day to day at Ology, just talking to customers and folks that are thinking about making investments in training. So hopefully this is helpful to, to some of those folks and uh, really appreciate your insight on the topic, David. Yeah, thanks, Colin. Thanks, Adam. Appreciate the time today. Yeah, thanks, everyone. Uh, this was Training the Modern Workforce Live presented by Ology. Remember to join us every week for more discussions on all things training and continued learning. Uh, if you'd like to explore previous episodes, subscribe to our Ology YouTube channel or like us on LinkedIn and Facebook. And if you'd like to connect with one of our learning specialists to see how Ology can improve your training, head to ology.com and schedule a demo or drop us a note. Mm -hmm.